Hello, you're tuned to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. We're pleased to have you join us. Why is it important that you take care of your own spiritual life so that you can care for the spiritual life of others? Because Jesus Christ paid for this church with his blood. What do you call a loose gathering of people who meet under one roof on a Sunday morning? A church? A church is far more than that and needs to feature some very important elements as described by Paul when he was addressing the Ephesians. Just one of those elements is leadership and Paul has some very specific things to say about the role of elders and deacons, which are equally important in our church structure today. What's the big deal about elders and deacons? Let's find out as we join Dr. Corbett now for tonight's discussion from his series Dear Timothy on elders and deacons. Father, we thank you that we can, we can come together, that we can open our hearts to your word. I pray, Father, that your word would speak to us, that we would hear the voice of your spirit through your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. When Kim and I came to Launceston, we estimate that there was about 80 thriving, viable churches in Launceston. It was quite extraordinary to see the Saturday Examiner and to see almost two pages of churches advertising. You might remember those days when it just seems that there were a lot of churches and there were a lot of churches starting too, by the way. You don't see much of that now. And uh, when we sort of look at what's happening in our city now, that number that once was around 80 or so is less than half that now. And it should, if you give thought to this, it should raise the question, why is that? What's happening? We heard at the Friday event that in 1901, if I recollect correctly, the speaker Carl Fay said that, I think it was something like 96% of Australians identified on the census that they were Christians. He said that number didn't go down until about 1970 or so when it, went, it still was in 80s or something percent of Australians who identified as Christian. The last census, it wasn't that. And in fact, for the first time, it was the largest section of people who identified as having no religion. Sadly, the highest ratio of those people were in Tasmania. So what's going on? I was appreciative of Judah's prayer tonight that in praying for the Will Graham celebration, that journey that we're on, and she used the words, we need this, and we do. We need this. We need something that is going to put a stake in the ground, so to speak, to say the church is alive and well and we're taking ground, not trying to hold on to the ground we've got. That's why this morning I put out the challenge that what if God answers our prayers? I mean, we're praying for people to come in and get saved. We're praying for people to come to Christ. We're praying for the hurting, the broken, the lost to come to know Christ. What if God answers that prayer? What will happen? What will happen to people who don't know how you do church? They don't get it. What will happen when, when God brings in some people that don't smell like we smell? What are we going to do? How are we going to respond? How are we going to respond if someone turns up in a dress and lovely makeup and nice jewellery with a handbag over their shoulder and it's a man? How are we going to respond? These are challenges that we're facing. You know, this is, 
the world we're living in now and do we want to reach the world, the people in the world that we're a part of? Because if we do, we've got to kind of either unbuckle our seatbelt or fasten our seatbelt, depending on which way you want to look at it. Because who knows what God could do if he answered our prayers. Tonight I want to look at the, the next instalment in the epistle to Timothy. If you've got your Bibles, please turn to 1 Timothy in chapter 3. And we're going to be having a look in this section. So we're looking at the role of elders and deacons. Paul, in writing to Timothy, is actually writing to the Ephesian church. I've speculated, I don't know if this happened, but I'm, I'm speculating that when Paul sent this epistle off to Timothy, very quickly followed by his second, what we call his second epistle, my, my guess is, and it is a guess, I've got no historical historical evidence to support it but my guess is that he probably included a personal note to Timothy as well and the reason I, I would think that is because it just strikes me that their relationship was so rich and so deep that he would have wanted to say something directly to Timothy that was private because this is not a private letter this is a letter meant to be read in every house church in Ephesus this is a letter designed to address some of the problems that were happening and brewing and simmering in the Ephesian church. So when we talk about elders and deacons, if you read through the New Testament epistles, you'll see that Paul often opens his epistles. You only have to look at you know, chapter 1 and verse 1. To the overseers and deacons. Overseers is the Greek word translated into English as overseer. It's the Greek word where we get the word elder from. It's the word episkopos, a Greek word in plural, takes the os off and puts an oi on the end, so one episkopos, two episkopoi, or multiple episkopoi, that's the plural. And it's the word Paul uses here, and we see in various translations, if you've got a New King James or a King James, it will use the word bishop. That can be a bit confusing in English. It can be confusing to our ears because we think of those churches that have bishops, and we think that's what Paul's referring to, when in fact he's not referring to that at all. He's referring to what we might call elders. And the English word uh, is, could be overseer, episkopos. If you are aware that in America, the Anglican church is called the Episcopalian church. And it comes from that word, that, that word that indicates that there's a, a, a hierarchy, a structure, bishops and and what we're going to consider now is Paul's instructions to them. And I've mentioned to you that the Ephesian church is the most written to church of all the churches. And we should be thankful for that. We should be thankful that they had problems. Because when Paul's writing to say, hang on, you're doing this, but this is where, we, this is where you've got to be. This is the standard. It actually helps us to know where the standard is. And so what we're, what we're now looking at is something that we can apply in our own church. This morning, I had someone tell me that they were in leadership in their church for decades and they'd never become a Christian. We're going to see that if we follow what Paul says, that would never happen here. That should not happen here. So to set the scene, while you've got your finger in there, in a moment we're going to jump into Acts chapter 20 just to get some background but we're going to anchor it in 1 Timothy. A few years after Paul had left Ephesus, so he 
had been there for nearly two years and he had set up an established church there consisting of householder churches and some years after that he came to the coast near where Ephesus was. It's a place called Miletus on the coast and he did not want to go in to the city of Ephesus. Instead we're going to read in Acts chapter 20 verse 17 and on that Paul sent word to the elders, the householder leaders of churches in Ephesus, come and meet me. And so we have this description in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, and it says this. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. By the way, today we have pastors and elders, but essentially, biblically, they are the same thing. There is a Greek word for shepherd, which is used to translate into English as the word pastor. It's the word poimen. And the word that's for elder, I've already mentioned, it's episkopos, a group of them, episkopoi. And there's another word that was occasionally used by Paul. That's called presbyteros, which is where the Presbyterian church grounds their name from. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia. So Asia is Turkey, which is where Ephesus is. So don't think China and Southeast Asia. This is Asia. Serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. So I want you to picture this scene. The elders have come to him. They finished their day's work. They've traveled to Ephesus. They're with Paul. They've probably had a meal together. And he's telling them this. Why is he telling them this? Why is he going through what he went? Why is he retelling them? It's, it's as if Paul is setting a benchmark for these men. I served you with humility. I didn't take, any, I didn't take a denarius from any of you. I worked with my own hands. I supported myself and I worked humbly. So this is what he's saying. So this gives us a clue, I think, into what Paul is really wanting to say. You know, I don't know if you've ever been around a particularly aged and very wise person who wants to tell you something and they might tell it to you in a story. That was the first time I encountered F.W. Borum. It felt like I was sitting on a veranda with him. He was in a rocking chair. I was in the one beside him. And he was telling me a story about painting, how to paint things. And I remember reading this story thinking, what on earth? Why and then right at the end, he brings out this profound spiritual point about painting, how wet paint looks shiny and wet paint looks attractive and how wet paint brightens things up and how wet paint is, has a fragrance and wet paint is this and that and the other. And he said, oh, the other day I went for a walk past someone who painted their front fence. I, my jacket brushed past their newly painted fence and I got paint on me because wet paint can spoil things. He said, but when it dries, it has to dry through hardening the sun and the wind and the rain. It has to take a battering to become the very thing it was meant to be. And he said in this story, he's talking to a young pastor. He said, it sounds like the paint has dried on your life. Now God can use you. And it was as if he just spoke to me. Paul seems to be doing one of those stories with these Ephesian elders. He's telling them these things, how I did not shrink from delivering to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance, 
toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, verse 22, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Just be hearing this as these elders. What is he telling them? What is he telling them to do? And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He's just told them something quite profound. He's told them that he wasn't afraid to tell someone the truth, even if it meant, even if it meant that they would hate him as a result. Hmm. Now listen to what he says. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Greek word, episkopoi. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Why should you elders care? Why should you care for the church? Why is it important that you take care of your own spiritual life so that you can care for the spiritual life of others? Because Jesus Christ paid for this church with his blood. How important is church to Jesus? I've heard people say, you can have a relationship with Jesus and you never have to go to church. I think, no, you cannot. No, you cannot. If he's the head, the church is what? The body. He places people in the body. He loves the church. He gave his life for it, which is that expression. He obtained it with his own blood. How important is church to Jesus? supremely important. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. A wolf in this instance, as we'll see in a moment, is someone who is deceitful. They will say whatever it takes to manipulate someone. And from, listen to what he's saying to these elders, and from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things, to draw away the disciples after them. Hmm. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. So there you go, he was, he was there for three years. And he's retelling them this. He's reminding them of the trials that he went through, the beatings he went through, the scorn he went through, the hatred he went through, and yet he was faithful. What's he telling these elders? You're going to have to go through the same. And if you don't, you've got to be prepared to. This is going to cost you. This thing called church is not some byproduct. It's not some add-on. It's the thing. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now listen to what he says. And this is countering what he says about wolves. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give 
than to receive. And if you're in ministry, worship ministry, preaching ministry, home group ministry, caring people ministry, remember those words. It's not what you get, it's what you can give and Christ will honour. I used to have a thing on my whiteboard when we used to meet in this, which is now our foyer. And it was a reminder to all of us as we're about to come out, our work enables others to worship, full stop. Our work is our worship. What we do is, is, is our worship to God. I remember when I was first credentialed as a pastor, I was invited to uh, leave country Victoria and come to Melbourne and take up a position as a youth pastor. I don't know if that sounds glamorous to any of you. It was, come and we won't pay anything. You've got to get a job and work a full-time job being a youth pastor on top of that. I said, we said, we're in, we're in. And we arrived in Melbourne and found a place to live. And I, I uh, remember wondering how on earth this is going to work. No promise of income, nothing like that. And I, I had a couple of casual jobs and I thought, I don't know how this is going to work. And then one day, I saw a postie delivering mail and he was about to knock off and it was about midday. And I thought, oh, that's not a bad, that, that could work. I could do that. Ride motorbikes out in the sun and knock off at midday. No one told me you had to get up at 4am. I found out that later. <laughs> and so I, back in the days of the Commonwealth Employment Service called CES, I went down to the CS and there was a card on the job vacancy board and it was for a, 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 a motorcycle posting. Oh, I picked the card up and I took it to the counter and they said, here's where you go, off you go. So I went down to the local delivery centre where it was advertised and I said, I'm here about the job. And they said, what job? The, the job, it was at the CS. There's no job, we got no job. There's no job here. Oh, well, you're here anyway, fill out an application. So I filled out the application. They rang me up that night and said, can you start tomorrow? Oh, it was pretty cool. So I worked as a postie and it was, it was long hours, but it, was, but it did finish somewhere around the middle of the day and then I could do pastoral work into the night from that point on. And I did that for three years or so uh, in, as a youth pastor. And then another year or so, as a, a year I think as a, an assistant pastor, and then I went and planned at a church in Williamstown in Melbourne and did it for another two, two and a bit years, nearly three years. But I asked Australia Post, would, would you mind if I, because the church was beginning to grow and we had about 100 people coming along in a few months and I, I need to go two days one week and three days the next. Can you do that? And they said, no, we've never done that before. We're not going to do that. It's, you work five days and that's all there is about it. And then someone came off family leave and they had gone to them at the same time and said, would it be okay to work two days one week, three days the next? And so they made our job one position and divided it. And so I was able to plant a church and do that. And it was, was awesome. But when Paul says, working ceaselessly, I'm not going to say I've done what Paul's done, but I know what it's like to work long hours because you're glad to do it for the sake of Christ and his church. So Paul addresses these household of church leaders in Ephesus, in, from Ephesus in Miletus. And, and, and he reveals to them this tremendous responsibility of what it, what it means to be a leader in a church. Here's the thing, 
we, we, we call some elders, Ali an elder, um, uh, Stephen an elder, and then of course we've got Tony and Donna, myself as pastors, part of the pastors and elders team. And not everyone who's an overseer or elder in our church is called that. Just want you to realise that. There are people in this church who watch out for others, even though they don't have a designation as an elder. And I think that's because that's what Christ, Christ organises that. And Paul's warnings to these elders, these overseers, he warns them about, about the dangers. He identifies the dangers that these elders were going to have to protect the church from. I, I, I stopped and pointed out to you the word wolves. But that wasn't the only danger. You remember there was one other danger, Paul said, from your own midst some will become people who divide the church and go off with disciples. So there was two dangers, dangers from without, from wolves, and dangers from within. And it seems like Paul's prophecy to these Ephesian householder elders came true. It seems, unfortunately, tragically, that years after this event, he writes in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So now he sent Timothy to Ephesus or told Timothy to stay in Ephesus because exactly what Paul said would happen has now begun to happen. There's problems on two different fronts. Nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So the appointment of overseeing of qualified leaders highlights a couple of things about what it means to be a church. A church is not merely a loose gathering of believers. I've heard people say, and maybe you've heard it too, that they go to a house church, but really it's not a house church. It's just a loose gathering of believers on a Sunday or a whenever. And they've been in their lounge room and they, they might pray and they might study a verse and close in prayer and that's it. And they call that church. I want to give you some reasons why, based on what Paul is telling us about the way church needs to be, that shouldn't be considered church. It's a, it can be a ministry of a church, but it shouldn't be considered a church. Here's why. When Paul talks about setting the church in order to Timothy, he says the very first thing you've got to do is appoint qualified leaders. Qualified leaders. And we'll, we'll see this as we go through 1 Timothy 3 in a moment. The, the next thing that we see Paul is talking about, because it's not just elders, it's elders and deacons. There's a structure involved. So the next thing that has to happen in order for something to be a biblically functioning church is it has a leadership structure. The next thing we see, and we see it in 1 Timothy as well, where he talks about a, a people on the role of the church. That's membership, a membership role. So we see that a church actually has membership. And that involves some kind of agreement. That's why we call our membership partnership, because it's a, a partnering agreement. It's, this is how we as a church will care for you and minister to you, and this is how you can partner with us in our mission, membership. But it also involves this ugly word, discipline. There's, there's got to be some respect for those in leadership who exercise discipline in a church. And the, the problem with having so many churches, even in our own city, 
is over the years when we've tried to discipline someone, correct someone, and I think reasonably, when we've tried to do that, oftentimes they leave, they just take off. And that discipline restoration process doesn't see its way through to completion. But it's necessary for the church. Paul's talking about this to Timothy. He's telling him to correct these errors. There's got to be discipline. Next, a church has to have ordinances, things that they do that bring it back to Christ and ground that church in Christ. Such things as the Lord's table, such things as water baptism. These are ordinances of, of the church. I prefer the word ordinance and the word sacrament. The things that make a church a church. Paul is in, the, in these epistles is telling Timothy to preach the word. In order to be a biblically functioning church, it has to be a church where the word of God is taught and preached, studied and applied. You might think, well, that's obvious. If you ever go to some churches where a verse of scripture may be read and that's the last you hear of it in what's coming as a sermon, it makes you realise this is maybe not understood by everyone, that the word of God has got to be central to our formation of our worship, who God is, how we relate to people and what our role and purpose in life is. And that's kind of, that's central to what a church should be teaching. So these are the things, those are some of those, the things that Paul says constitutes a church. So we read in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. And what we're going to see is Paul say, this is a good thing. You want to be a leader? This is a good thing. We need more leaders in our church. Every Sunday for the past 10 Sundays, We've been saying we want to start new home groups. We've had a couple step up and approach Donna, but we're seeing now just about every Sunday, new people coming in who aren't yet connected to a home group. We're having a talk at the moment among pastors and elders and leadership team about how we encourage that more and what interplay does Sunday nights have in hindering that from actually happening. We're having that discussion. Now, what we're going to see Paul saying here to those who desire to be a leader in the church is that nearly everything he tells them is a character trait. It's not about what they can do, and what they can't do, whether they've got a theological degree or they know the Bible back to front or anything like that. It's about who they are as a follower of Christ, the character that they have. Verse 2, to highlight this, then an overseer, listen to the character traits, must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, able to teach. Can you hear which one was not a character trait? Able to teach. But it's one of the few competencies that Paul says an elder must possess. Everything else that we're about to read is about who you are when no one's watching, when you're under trial, when everything's gone wrong. Who are you? What do you do? How do you respond? So a good Christian leader doesn't have to know everything, but they must be teachable in order to be qualified to teach. So even though an elder is required to teach, not all elders are gifted teachers. Not all elders can do what I'm doing tonight. And I don't expect them to be able to because teaching happens in different ways, doesn't it? 
Mortimer J. Adler, one of the smartest men that's ever lived in recent times, he was the general editor of Encyclopedia Britannica, said, if you want an education, school is probably not the place you're gonna get it. And he said this, of all the things you learn in life, 46% of the most valuable things you learn in life will come from a conversation with another person. Do elders teach in the same way? No, some of them will have a conversation with you and you'll learn from it. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his household well. So I think Paul is assuming he's addressing the male householder that doesn't negate, mean, that women cannot be in a role in leadership in the church. But in this, in this context, this is who he's addressing. He must manage his household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So all of these character traits that an elder must exhibit in order to be considered for eldership must be observed over time because how do you know, young ladies, what a guy's really like? That's all we have time for tonight. If you'd like to obtain a CD copy or premium download of tonight's discussion, please go to our website, findingtruthmatters.org and select Dear Timothy Part 5 from our online store. As we've heard tonight, leadership in a church is vital, as is the teaching of the word and membership. Elders and deacons are called to a high standard of discipline so as to protect the church from false doctrines. More from Dr Corbett next week. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.